will love that. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Hello and welcome to episode 435 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew RLP. And joining me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? Going pretty well, Andrew. I just spent 20 minutes wrangling my dog. Um, and finally she settled down and we can go back to being professional podcasters again. As we do. I don't know. You probably don't understand what this is like, Andrew, when you've got to um, account for another sentient being that you have to look after. Um, it's very. I know you got two kids, but that's kids. I've got a doggy, man. Yeah, I mean, kids. It's easy. You just put a bowl of food on in a, but like just on the floor. Yeah, yeah, and just walk away. Yeah, yeah. You know, you throw them some scissors, a lighter, stuff like that. Stuff that's shiny that keeps their attention. Yeah, that'll be fine. Yeah, with the dog, right? She's currently chewing a uh, a goat's horn. Right. Hope the goat is is fine with this. Yeah, the goat is was fine with that a long time ago. I would suggest. <laughs> that's good to know. Um, what's been going on in the world of of rugby league? Well. In rugby league, it was interesting. Last night, uh, late at night, there was something caught my eye. I can't even remember where I saw it the first time, but I started searching. And it turned out that the Australian Rugby Union is plotting a mega raid on NRL talent. A late night raid? uh, Well, it's probably clandestine. That's why we're reading it in the paper. Uh, I I do like a clandestine raid. Yeah, now it was in the Daily Telegraph originally, but I'm reading it on Fox Sports. <laughs> the clandestine Daily Telegraph. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm reading it on Fox Sports, um, so I don't know who the original writer was of this article, uh, but on Fox Sports it's been posted under Staff Riders. So shout out Staff Riders on, yeah. um, on Twitter. Well done, James Hooper. Uh, yes. Now, basically, the basic story is that they are looking to offer – Joseph Sawali, $10 million over five years. Whoo! And they are also looking, they've formed a wish list, and it has the likes of Tom Trebojevic, Latron Mitchell, Cameron Murray, Ryan Pappenhausen, Matt Burton, and Nelson Asofa Solomona on that list. It's probably so, well. So as Rugby Australia has, they're, they're basically confirming what everybody already knows mm-hmm. and admitting to everybody that rugby league has the better rugby players. Yeah, yeah, but we've known that for forever. You know? Of course we have, but they're, they're doing it in the most obvious way possible. Yes. Now, there's a few things that the article states, and that is that um, a lot of these players have played rugby union as youngsters, which I always think is overrated because, you know, rugby league athletes and general athletes in most sports – at their schools, they were generally the bit most athletic at their schools, so they did everything. Like, yeah. I'm sure that these guys were all the best swimmers. I'm sure that they were the best at, like, the cross-country, all the athletics. Like, so saying, oh, well, I come from this background, it's like they did everything. They were probably really good at bowling, you know? Yeah. Um, and I only say that because I was really good at bowling. Um 
So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where the background in a different sport is just, yeah, they did it when they were a young kid. You know, they probably tried all sorts of things. But that's the thinking behind it. I'll just move my dog. And so when I read this article, a bunch of things jumped out at me, okay? The first thing being $10 million over five years means that Suwali to them is worth $2 million a year. Mm. He, he's not worth $2 million to an NRL club just because of the way their cap is structured. He's an outside back. There's I don't think any player in the rugby union or league world is worth $2 million a season. I think that you can get pretty close with some players. You might be able to. The problem with it is because, um, all jokes aside, because both codes are very physically demanding, the risk of getting injury, any sort of injury, is really high. Mm-hmm. And to be giving someone that chunk of money, knowing that the risk of injury is pretty high as well, I don't think that's smart business. I can see that point of view. but I that's, can, I... that's the only reason why. It's not anything to do with the players themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason why, the only way I see any rugby player from any code getting that much money is if more money is dumped into the sport to justify it. Yes, and we'll get to that. Right? Mm. Um, I, I would think, I think we recently saw a pretty good example with Nathan Cleary, where you've got a guy who's very young, who's already played in two grand finals, won one of them. Um, you know the family he comes from. It's a you know pretty stable family. There, there's no behavioural issues. Like he ticks a lot of boxes in the positive. Um, he, you know, touch wood, he doesn't get injured. Um, he's a, he's got a good frame on him. Like he's not a frail sort of player for a halfback. Uh, he's got a lot of skills. He's probably going to get better. Now he took unders to stay at the Panthers, but I think that it would be fair to say I, I could make a, as another club, I could go into my board and say, we should pay this dude $1.5 million a year to come to our club, and then we don't have to worry about a halfback again. Mm-hmm. $2 million under the current cap, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, Especially when you know he's going to be playing, he's going to be missing at least two or three games every year just through origin. Yes, exactly. So, you know, and that's a, the other thing about all of this is that the clubs don't pay Cleary or a player of his, and I'll, we're just using Cleary as the example. I'm not, you know, pumping his tyres or anything. But if you've got a player like Cleary, you're paying him as a club to play for your club. He gets money on top of that for origin and then test matches he might play, play in. Yep. So he's getting extra money on top of what he's going to earn from the Panthers anyway. And then you've got sponsorship and things like that, which you've got to take into account as well. So he might, at the Panthers next year, be earning, say, $1.1 or $1.2 million a year. But he could earn upwards of, say, $1.4 or something, yeah. $1.3, $1.4, when you add everything up from his rugby league um, career. So we go back to Suwali, $10 million for five years. Now, the NRL and its clubs, and keep in mind, we'll have 17 clubs next year. They will be spending one hundred and fifty four million seven hundred thousand dollars 
just on top 20 players next year. The Australian Rugby Union's entire broadcasting deal with Nine Entertainment next year is for $33 million. Yeah. Pretty big difference there. It is sizable. Yes. Now, if the Australian Rugby Union gets to a point where it can justify to itself to spend $2 million a year on one player who's 19 years old, who hasn't played any representative football in rugby league, who's got a very bright future ahead of him, it must be said. Yep. What does that say to Rugby Union's other players in Australia? It says the place to go is Rugby League as a junior. Just go straight to Rugby League. That You can play one season in the NRL and become a $2 million player. You've got to do it. There's no other choice. Yeah. The other thing it, it says is that Rugby Union looks at its current player pool and doesn't feel like it is adequate whatsoever because Suwali would be by far and away their highest profile, highest paid player. Um, and he doesn't even play rugby union at the moment. I think, and, and I think for me, that is the bigger issue is yeah. what they're saying to their current squad of players. The people who have, um, it's almost the same same conversation we have when we're talking about players who just get flown in for international uh, rugby union teams mm. um, instead of the one where they're born. Mm. Yeah, like if Tom Trebojevic and, and yeah, his brothers decide to go and line up for Serbia, mm. they're Australian-born guys. Sure, they've got heritage going back there, but they've played no role in helping Serbia get to where they've got, where, you know, if they, it's, you know, for example, if they match for the World Cup. Yeah. They had nothing to do with getting them there, but then they get just dropped into that team. It's it's taking three guys who deserve to be there, who worked hard to get that team there. They're the three who suffer because they get taken out outside. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same that's taking place in Rugby Union, except instead of having it over different nations, it's just taking people from a different code and just replacing people who have spent their whole life who could have gone to league for bigger money or could have gone to another country to earn bigger money in the same code, mm. but have stayed loyal to the Australian game, they're the ones being being impacted the hardest here because they're the ones being pushed out to make way for these rugby league players. Um, it's, it's the sort of narrow-minded thinking that rugby union has had for far too long that's eventually, and well, not even eventually, it's been slowly eroding the player base. Well, look at where they are ranks for for decades. Yeah, look at where they are now. Like, yeah, uh, there's I I get an advert that pops up on my Twitter feed for the um, Sydney Club Rugby Union Premiership final games, and it's only because I I saw it once and I clicked on it and thought I wonder what people were saying and it wasn't complimentary. Um, and they're playing their grand final at Leichhardt Oval, right? Yep. I believe it's Leichhardt Oval. It might be North Sydney Oval. Um, but which shows how good their marketing is. Um, but they used to play at the SFS. Yeah. And they used to get a crowd of like about, I think it was about 20,000 to their grand final, Sydney Club grand final. Now it's like family and friends. Um, the profile of Australian rugby union players is nowhere. Like, the, and, and the thing is too that, 
you look at their high-profile recruits, uh, one was a Fijian winger in Korobiti, another one was a Fijian winger in um, Vunavalu, and the other one was a, a schoolboy in New Zealand that they called Tong and Thor, who's probably one of their highest-profile players. You see him in adverts sometimes. It, it's crazy that they're at this point where they have to look to buy those players from outside of the sport because they don't really have any any other, you know, way to have talent. And the way that they do that is to tell all of their youngsters, leave our game in droves. Just leave. If you want to yeah. be a professional rugby union player in Australia, you've got to be playing rugby league. Um, it's pretty crazy to me. And when you look at the finances of both sports in this country, it is insane that anybody in rugby union would be thinking the way to fix their problems is to start throwing money at players in another sport when that sport generates many, many, many times more, you know, the income than Australian rugby union does. Yeah. Because if... The NRL decided to, and I don't think they'd need to, but if the NRL decided to really put their foot down and say, you want to rumble in this sense, we'll rumble with you, it doesn't even, the fight hasn't even begun. It, it isn't a fight. It is just a decimation. Yeah, so well, all I they're just, doing is, all Rugby Union are doing, are essentially running themselves out of finances. Yeah, yeah. What, heaven forbid, this is a precarious situation they're putting themselves in. What if they go and buy every single one of the players that they, they're currently keen on buying? Because I believe there's a there's a bunch of them, isn't there? Yeah, there was a, they had a supposed hit list. Yeah. Imagine if they go and buy them all for the price that they want them all, and they get them all for that. And some of those guys, doesn't even have to be all of them, it could just be one or two of them, get injuries, which see them miss best part of maybe 18 months of footy all up. Hmm. How much of an economic debacle is that going to be for Australian rugby? How do they even recover from that? And their thinking is that they've got they've got a cup they've got a tour coming up in a couple of years' time, and then they've got a rugby union World Cup that I believe has been held in Australia. I don't know if it's also been held in New Zealand, but that they'll get a lot of marketing and things out of that, and a lot of new money coming into the game and stuff like that. It's incredible to me that they would think that because. They had that situation in 2003. They did the exact same thing. And a little over a decade later, they were broke. Yeah. And they're still broke. And it is crazy to me that they would look at the landscape right now and not only in Australian sport but in their own backyard and say, you know what, we need to do that again, but we'll do it from a, a far less a, – a position of far less strength and we'll do it against an opponent that is many, many, many times stronger than that opponent we went up against. And I just think it's it's madness. It's absolute madness. They want to spend $2 million a year on somebody to be a rugby union player. They should spend that money on junior rugby union. That's kind of what I was thinking too, is that they are financially in a situation where spending money on trying to get on-field results favourable, is not going to result in a huge windfall of cash either. Mm -hmm. But how much money do you think they're going to get if 
by whatever chance, they win the Rugby World Cup. Are they going to get back all the money they've invested in rugby league players to get to that point? Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, if you look at best-case scenario for them that, you know, for whatever reason, that everything goes off perfectly and they win the Rugby Union World Cup and they have these giant tours and everyone's back involved and excited and stuff, like, what is the financial end game there? The financial end game is maybe having enough money per year that you would be able to say, well, if you take one or one and a half NRL clubs, we can compete with them financially. You know, well, you know, I I just look at it and think if everything works out absolutely peachy for them and goes perfectly to plan, mm. I'll probably make enough money, like increased income, that is, mm. to cover the cost of the players that they've purchased. Yeah. I don't see that they're going to be making much more money than that. So they're not... They're not putting themselves in a situation where they're improving the overall lot of rugby mm-hmm. union. And they should be investing that money in trying to get the pathway set up better and make the players who are dedicated to the sport, make them better, get them better facilities, get them better training, whatever you've got to do. But whatever you get in, make them better so they can give you the better results on the field and then you don't have to spend millions upon millions of money that you can't really afford to be throwing around. Mm. on players from other coasts to try and give you better on-field results. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it, it, say you spend $2 bucks on Suwali, who, you know, is a rugby – kid's from Penrith. You know, it's not like this is a guy that has died in the wool, been rugby union all his life, blah, blah, blah. He's from Penrith. You know, he's yeah. been a rugby league player his entire life. Um, you know, you get somebody like him – what do you get? Are you getting it? It's not like you're getting, you know, somebody who is the key player in your side. You're getting somebody that's an outside back. You know, I, I look at him and I, he's right now, he's playing on the wing for the Roosters. He's definitely going to be a centre in his future. But it's not like you look at him and say, well, there's a guy that's definitely going to end up as 5'8". Or there's a guy that is most certainly going to be a fullback. You know, we don't know that yet. Yeah. Now, I have no doubt that he could he, today could walk into the Australian Rugby Union team and be their best player. I got no doubt about that. But is that worth two million bucks a year to them when they're only getting thirty-three million bucks a year from their broadcasting deal? I know they've got other deals that they've got that will bring in income, but it's still not balanced in their books right now, and they don't have Sawali on two million bucks a year. Right. And if I was. Look, if I was to take the West Tigers, okay, mm-hmm. and this this is not going off on a rant or being joking or like that, okay, they've got their players' salaries completely set aside and funded every year. They don't even need to worry about this expense. Mm-hmm. I'm still not buying Joseph Suwali for $2 million to beat the West Tigers. No, no, it's just... Uh, it, it's, the, it's nonsense the, money. Yeah, yeah. The last time a player was thrown two, $2 million or more a season... Sonny Bill Williams, look how that worked out. Yeah, he didn't, I, he didn't even get it. You know, no. The club fell apart. It's too huge an investment for for um, a sport which is struggling financially. Mm. I mean, they've, surely they can look back and go, okay, the last big-name player that they signed from Rugby League who was a huge asset to Rugby Union on the field would have been Israel Folau until they got rid of him because of his words. Yeah. Um, surely they can look back on that and say, right, 
did we get our money back for what we invested in Falau? And if they can say yes, and we made three or four fold on what we invested, maybe fair enough. But still, then, if you're doing, if you're only going to make four or five, ten, you know, four or five fold on what you've invested in Sawali, you're still only making ten million dollars over five years, or twenty million dollars over five. You know, it's not, it's not huge money. Like it's, they, they need hundreds of millions of dollars, not yeah, five or ten. Yeah, they like. There's no doubt that rugby union in Australia, like you go underneath the professional level, it's like A-grade park football, you know? And and it's not A-grade park level in terms of talent-wise. It's just you go from like they're professionals to straight to park level. Now, in rugby league, we don't have that. we got multiple layers between your first-grade NRL. Like if you look at the Australian rugby league as an example, you've got the Australian team. Then you've got Origin. Then you've got NRL level. Then under that, you've got Queensland Cup and New South Wales Cup level. Then under that, you've got all of the junior levels. And then you go back down, and then you've got A-grade level, you know? Yeah. There's there's not much to – like, Australian Rugby Union is very much like a, a cupcake. It's mostly icing, you know? There's not much underneath it. Well, it kind of has to be. It, yeah, but that's because- the thing. And well, it doesn't actually it doesn't have to be. That's the way they've designed it so they can appear like they're still on the big stage with everybody else. Yeah, and it's like it's pretty crazy to me that when you look at how tiny rugby union is in Australia, that they still compete with other countries, um, other strong countries in rugby union, which you know just says you know where rugby union players are. And there was a feeling amongst rugby union types that was. In, in the last couple of years, they kind of realised where the game was at and a lot of them were pushing for the game to become um, almost like a, a boutique sort of game where they understood that they weren't in the big leagues in Australian sport anymore, but let's make it at least fun for what rugby union types wanted in Australia, which was to have nice events, to have a connection to their local rugby union club, and to sort of just be happy with what they had. And that was interesting when they realised that that's where they were at as a sport. Doing this is the complete opposite of that. And my guess is that really dyed-in-the-wool rugby union types are going to be horrified by the idea that they're going back to this whole let's buy leagues for heaps of money and then at the end of the day sort of just be left with nothing. It's it's such a horror, it's like it's, it's such short term thinking. Yeah, it's a and the problem is, uh, since the early two thousand, or since the Super League War, when rugby union was p- sitting in a bloody perfect spot to build a bit of momentum and grow and expand and strengthen the code, they went with short think short view thinking. All right, let's pick apart as many rugby league players as we can out of their teams and try and sort of pick at them while they're down, mm. and that's where it started. That was the moment where they should have went, let's make our players household names and work solely with that. Instead, they went and tried to pick rugby league players all over the place. And it's it's little things like that. It starts small, but it's enough to make that one guy who might have been in line to be the first or second choice to be fullback for the Wallabies. He then finds himself behind Matt Rogers, and so he goes down another few pegs 
It's enough to make that guy disgruntled, and the other guys who are on the cusp of that sort of level all get a bit more disgruntled and just go, and they stop putting in that little bit of extra effort. It might only be 2% less, but it's enough to make their performances drop a bit, and when all of those players drop their performances just by 1% or 2%, the quality of the game goes down further. And it's just, it snowballs. It's a slow, it's a slow-moving thing. Yeah. That's what you'll notice. You and I can both sit there and say, the way Rugby Union was sitting in 96, 97, 98, even 2000, it was it was legitimately a hell of a lot bigger of a of a deal in Australia than what it is now by a long way. Oh, by many magnitudes, you know. Yeah, to it, the point it, where you you would hear about rugby union being spoken almost on the the same level as all the other sports. Like it was still pretty much in the whole conversation of being one of the major sports in Australia at that stage, but it fell away because they eroded their own base. Yeah, and all they're doing ever since is constantly cherry picking people who are outside of their base and they're basically giving the players who are within their own organization who have been dedicated to it, they're pissing them off mm-hmm. by getting these blow-ins from all over the shop and they're ruining what they've got. It's it's the craziest thing possible. It, there's similarities to what England's done in the Super League. Instead of just focusing on English players, Let's mm-hmm. get as many people as we can from Australia and New Zealand and get them all in here, and it erodes that player base at the bottom of the junior level. And in England, they go to rugby union. Yep. Yep, exactly. And exactly. You can't go around eroding your base like that. You, It's too hard to fix. Once it's eroded, you can't fix it. And, and the thing is, too, like the, the difference in not only spending power but infrastructure and the ability to churn out players and all that sort of stuff. Like the NRL is, it's, you know, on a world sports scale, it's pretty remarkable. You know, we're, we're, we're not a giant nation here in Australia. There's 26, 26 million of us. And yet we're turning out all of these world-class athletes all the time. And then, like, you can literally say world-class athletes because not only are they the best in rugby league and the best in rugby union, but they're also able to pick up other sports and just, and you know, become world champions in them, you know. Um, and, and so it's a very unique situation. And we did a couple of podcasts, I think it was about two years ago now, where we, we talked about different scenarios for the Australian game and, and how it would affect rugby union. And look, the the best thing rugby union in Australia could do is be, is come under the guise of the NRL and have the NRL running it, you know. And, and because if it, rugby in Australia is like 99% NRL and 1% Australian rugby union, like it's that, that, it's that giant of a difference. Yeah. And if they just went under the the umbrella of the NRL, all of a sudden they'd have funding, they'd have junior development, they'd have all of the infrastructure, and you would have young young kids who could pick and choose what they wanted to do and it it would be less of an issue. They won't do that obviously because there's a lot of cultural reasons for that. It's too much there's too much pride still in rugby union. They they still think of themselves as being the better game than rugby league and they've got to They've got to get to the point where they go, you know what, let's stop trying to compete with rugby league and just try and run our own race. And they yes. just acknowledge that they're different sports 
And that's that's all they've got to do. Trying to keep up or be ahead or anything like that, trying to keep up with the Joneses as they're doing all the time, all it's done through their own mismanagement has eroded the game, everything about it. Um, it it's seen in some of the comments here. Peter Volandis, an idiot, says, I don't think Sawali would go to rugby because he would be bored. Volandis thinks that Sawali's going to go over to rugby union and be a winger. He's not. He's going to go there and be a fullback. That's why they go after him for. Yeah. They did the same thing with um, with Matt Rogers. Yeah. He was a winger in rugby league. He went over there, immediately became a fullback, and a bloody brilliant one. And Sawali wouldn't be that much different. So he wouldn't go over there and be bored. That's just stupid. But the head of the uh, rugby union then came out and said that uh, rugby is a thinking person's game. It's this sort of stupid, meandering bullshit that's got rugby union stuck in the position it's in. They've got to stop thinking that they're better than everybody else or they're not yeah. as... they just got to go, you know what? We're a different game. AFL doesn't sit there and say they're a thinking person's game and they compete with rugby league. They accept, because it's so blatantly fucking obvious, though, I must admit, that they're just two different types of athletes playing two very different games. Yeah, and it's weird because it took a long time for the media to cotton onto that. And we, we like in the early 2000s, we had this media-driven sports arms race, I guess you could call it, in Australia, where they're all trying to one-up one another. And it was not great for rugby league because at the time we were actually reducing our salary cut because we're trying to reduce costs and get the game back under control financially. And we were doing that while the game was half run by the media organization that was underpaying the media rights by hundreds of millions of dollars. So that was difficult for rugby league, but it just got to a point where it really did. It become an obvious that like, you know what? The, the people that, watch rugby league and the people that watch AFL, they're for the most part pretty different people and they are looking for different things out of their sports and the athletes are different and they want different things and they're built differently and it just went down the line where it's like I don't think these two sports really have to worry about one another whatsoever. They kind of, it was fine. You know, we've seen like how many AFL players have come off, come across to rugby league and being successful. None. How many rugby league players have gone to AFL and been successful? It's also none. Yeah. And the reason why the AFL looked to get, and they got Falau and Carmichael Hunt wasn't so much about talent. It was more about trying to change their demographic. It was a PR thing. Yeah, and the the demographic for AFL is very, um, it's not very multicultural, let's say. Well, no, and that's understandable because it's an it's an Australian only game that was invented largely, but or you know the European settlers that were in Victoria. Yeah, and and because they didn't have that multicultural appeal, they tried to bring in that they tried to buy it. It turns out that didn't work. No. And, you know, when you look at rugby league, I mean, our game is you turn on any NRL game and you can straight away see that we get a sport that appeals to a very wide range of, pe- range of people from very different backgrounds. And because it covers a lot of different size bodies as well. Yeah, yeah. Like the only people who can play AFL are those who have like, legitimately world-classed cardio. Like, we could sit there and talk about how fantastic it is that rugby league players can go to, you know, make 300 metres in a game's fucking insane. AFL players must be running for 10, 15, 20 k's a game. It'd be insane what they do. Yeah, and, but 
the cardio they do is on a whole different level to what rugby league is. They're not doing they're not doing excessively more cardio. It's just an extremely different version of it, and they're doing a whole lot more of it. And it's one type of cardio, and they're doing a fuck ton of it that a rugby league player couldn't do. They're just not. It's not what they're, it's not what they're designed or built to do. It's not what they. It, it doesn't work in terms of like. Uh... You know, just say you could snap your fingers and I'm trying to think of a player. Um, Say you could snap your fingers and Latrell Mitchell right straight away has the build and the the cardio setup of a AFL player. Mm. Straight away, he's not got enough size. He's not got enough size. I mean, Um, he's not allowed to give away, what, 10, 15, 20 kilos or something to play AFL? Yeah, you, you've got to change your body. And it's the same thing when we've seen rugby league players go over to the NFL. It's like, it, okay, it's great. The rugby league player has all of this, so much more cardio than everyone around them. They can't apply it to the game. It doesn't matter. No. So what do you got to do? You've got to build muscle. And when they come back, you see that they've got to readapt their body to the cardio. Yeah, to have too sluggish. Yeah, yeah. And some of them don't get it back. I think that... Um, Valentine Holmes has been the closest to getting back to where he used to be, but he's still not back to where he used to be. Right. Also, it took him two and a, you know, two years, almost two and a half years, to get back to that. Yeah. That uh, uh, Jared, Jared Hayne was a really good example in that when he left rugby league, he had a rugby league player's body. Um, he went over. He he, And people forget that Jared Hayne did really, really, really well. Mm. Um, he unfortunately was at a club where the circumstances were that they couldn't spend time on a player like him. And so they had to, that, I mean, the, the the club basically went from having a really good year to being crisis mode when Hayne turned up. And that was unfortunate for him. But when Hayne come back, he was a shadow of what he used to be and never got it back, unfortunately. Um, so, Different sports have different requirements, and yeah, we got to a point where we realised that the athletes that rugby league and, and AFL were going for were two different sorts of athletes completely, and they weren't going to be interchangeable. And that was it was fine, and everyone sort of moved on with it. And you don't really hear too much about AFL versus rugby league anymore. They sort of just do their own things. Yeah, they moved on. Yeah, rugby union in Australia doesn't have that luxury. It, you know, there are different things that they both need as a sport out of their athletes. But, you know, thinking that they can go and spend two million bucks on a on a young guy and that's going to fix all their problems is outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. And this whole thing of like, well, it's a thinking sport compared to rugby league. Yeah, it would want to be a thinking sport. They stand around long enough time to think of other things, hey? <laughs> that's true. 60 uh, seconds, 60 second scrum clocks. <laughs> you know, if they weren't thinking of other things, they'd all be brain dead. They'd be playing the fucking game if they weren't thinking. Yeah. Okay, so there's a few more quotes here from, uh, um, what's his name? Bloke who runs it, McLennan. His first name's Hamish. I'm not surprised. I bet he wears a coat with elbow patches. Hamishes, right? And yeah. Gideons. Yeah. They love him. Yeah. Um, he admits, no doubt, rugby league has done a much better job than us over the last 20 years. 20? 20. 20? 
Well, look, he's he's admitted that they've, that rugby league's done a much better job. We'll take that. That that's some that's some admission. It's something, yeah. But wait for it. More people play and watch rugby globally. For the Japanese World Cup, over 850 million people tuned into the tournament. They would disagree with that comment. No, we wouldn't. What, yeah, what the we... NRL chief executive Andrew Abdo would never admit it. My hunch is that he'd prefer the Springboks over rugby league. So, what's his point? Well, he, well, that's one extra rugby union fan, I guess. I don't know what point he's trying to make, though. I don't know. This is a conversation about the, the state of both codes in Australia. He's talking about a World Cup where over 850 million people tune into a tournament. I'm not going to disagree with that. I'm sure they had a bigger, a bigger uh, audience. Rugby league, rugby league has never done very well as far as TV audience goes with the World Cup because they never really put that much effort into it, especially the ones in Australia. Well, the, the thing is, too, that, um, you know, the, the soccer World Cup, they reckon is watched by billions of people. What does that do for soccer in Australia? You know, soccer in Australia has never been, you know, at a worst point. So it just doesn't it doesn't matter. It it doesn't line no. up. No. Like what it, it says is that rugby union around the rest of the world is probably doing a fuckload better than it is in Australia. One hundred percent, yeah. And I don't think many people will argue with that either. Yeah. Just like rugby league in Australia is doing a fuckload better than it is in most of the other parts of the world. Yeah, and, it's, and a, it's a nonsense argument to be making. Look, and and once again, it it kind of lines up with some of the thinking you see out of British rugby league, where they will say things that and and boast about things that you're like, you listen to it and you're like, yeah, they're not getting it. Do they want to get it? Like, is this wishful thinking? Is this? It, it's mind blowing because they don't tackle the reality of what they have to face and bringing up things like that for this guy is is like yeah but that doesn't affect you guys you guys have not got a position of strength you know if it was all about how things rated in different parts of the world like good luck it'd be fantastic for you but that's not how it works how many people are watching the game in australia how many people are playing the game in Australia? Remember when they said that uh, bringing in rugby union sevens and it being at rugby union sevens being at the Olympics was huge because then all of these rugby league players are going to want to go and get a gold medal. And it turns out that the players that went and got gold medals were park footballers from rugby league who went back to rugby league as soon as they got their medals or took part in it, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's just not facing reality. And if that's the person that's running rugby union in Australia, they're in trouble. But he's still banging out the same stuff. Yeah. So he said that Sawali, who was a schoolboy star at fullback in union, has drawn comparisons with Israel Folau, saying he'd thrive in the game and said rugby could offer something the NRL couldn't offer, a truly world game. We've got a golden decade coming up, including multiple Olympics, where Joseph can win a gold medal, play in a Lions tournament and win a World Cup on home soil. The thing is, you can't give him a fucking salary that matches what league will give him. Well, not only that, it's like if what, like, how many of the stars played in the rugby union sevens at the Olympics? It wasn't many of them at all. 
you know. They kind of went in with mostly the players that have played sevens because it's very different from rugby union. Um, you know, and if Suwali wants all of that, that's great. But Go for it, but it's, it's not the lure that rugby union thinks it is. No, I don't think it is. If winning gold medals at the Olympics, playing against the Lions, if that was the lure they think it is, rugby league wouldn't exist. Yeah, every four it, years, you've got a chance for everyone to fuck off over to the rugby union and win, win medals. Yeah. That and doesn't it, happen for a reason. Exactly. Exactly. Um, look, if I was if I was talking to Suwali, and I don't have to talk to Suwali, he's made the right financial move every single time. But if I was talking to Suwali and I said, if Australian Rugby Union wants to pay you two million bucks a year, bite their arm off. But just make sure that they pay for the insurance on that contract. That's the mm-hmm. one thing I would say. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And I would say to him, look, mate, you're, you're going to be playing less games per year. It is going to be very different from what you're doing right now. The grind will be very different. Um, you know, you, you probably will go overseas more. And if that's something you're interested in, well, that this is a chance for you to do it. But how will you look back on your sporting career? Because he's a, he's a very good athlete. You know, he's a very good athlete. Mm-hmm. And I would wonder somebody like Falau, who could have been, he could have ended his career where he was the most capped Australian rugby league player of all time in terms of test matches, could have played probably more um, state of origin games than than most players at the very least because he was playing as a teenager. Yeah, he probably could have been in for a shot at being one of the top try scorers of all time. Who knows where he would have been in terms of premierships and things like that. You know, would he, was the money worth it? Now, he might say, dude, I live a life of luxury. I never have to worry about money again. My kids don't have to worry about money. Of course, I would do it again. And in that case, I would say, well, he made the right decision. Hmm. But some players are looking to do other things with their ability and I don't, you don't know where Suwali is with that, with his mindset. Um, if he is looking for the money aspect only, he should go. He should take the money. He should bite their arm off. But if he wants to get to the end of his career and be able to say, I was, look at what I did. You know, look at everything I did. And, you know, be part of something, a culture in Australian sport, in rugby league, where, People revere you. They talk about what you achieved, you know, and how much is that worth to him per year? I don't know. Only he can answer that. But it's a very different outcome to what it is as a rugby union player because, you know, when people talk about Matt Rogers and Wendell Sale and stuff, how often are they talking about what they did in rugby union? Man, they came back. They every single one of them come back. Yeah, Lady Takuri. Yeah, the only reason Falau didn't come back is because the game wouldn't take him back. Yeah, we've got all woke. Yeah, yeah. So fair enough too. I've, I've got no problem with that. Yeah, neither do I. But it's just very. It's an. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, and look, if if Rugby Union wants to spend two million bucks on one player in Australia. Mate, I hope they keep doing it because in 10 years from now, they will be in an even worse situation. 
And yeah. I can't imagine a worse situation for Australian Rugby Union to be in because they had a Australian club comp that went bust. They had to, you know, cut down on the number of super rugby union teams that they had. They had a, a competition that at one stage had super rugby union teams from, I think it was three or four different countries. And now it's like they're struggling to have two different countries. They're having to negotiate that. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. So well, it says here, any attempts to lure over players from the NRL, especially lucrative contracts like this one with Suwali, are going to have to be shelved until their private equity deal is ironed out and an agreement is reached with the states on the governing body's proposed contracting model, which would see Rugby Australia take over the costs of their players of national interest, leaving the bulk of the rest to be paid by the Super Rugby franchises. So it's kind of... They're kind of trying to do what the NRL is doing with the salary cap there, except Rugby Australia directly will pay the cost of, I assume, the Wallabies players well, and the yeah, so, rugby size play everybody else on the side. Yeah, so basically there's the base contract where it would be Super Rugby Union, which I think does, is capped artificially mm-hmm. by them. Um, and then they would say, well, it's a because it's a significant signing that will supposedly help the game nationally, the Australian Rugby Union basically has this top up, and it would be a gigantic. It's like be, oh, so it's a bit more like the um, like a marquee player situation. The marquee one that the Super League has in place. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay. The, the thing that would worry me if I'm in Rugby Union is that the Australian Rugby Union does this, and somebody like a Peter Volandi says, and I could see Peter Volandi's doing this because he's got an ego. You want to go into a financial arms race, and he just goes to every single, you know, I don't even know what to call them. They're not big name players in Australia, but I guess significant rugby union player in Australia, and says, money, 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 and and Suwali ends up playing with a bunch of park footballers because if he did that, there is zero, there is zero comeback for the Australian rugby union. They just can't afford it. Um, Either that, I, or you, or you starve them of cash by making sure that every single rugby league player has played some sort of rep football. So they have to be they have to be paid on this extremely high salary that Rugby Australia has to fund the bulk of till Rugby Australia goes broke. Yeah, and look, they're broke. That's the thing that's crazy to me is right now they are literally running in the red, and they've been running in the red for a very long time, and they've yeah, been running I mean, in the red at a high level based on lowering income. Well, you know, it says it's on not... here that the pressing interest is working out their private equity deal with the brief expected to be worked out over the next month before being floated with firms. Silver Lake and CVC remain interested in working out an agreement, yet they could still turn to borrowing more money on short term from Aries management, which helped save the game over the last two years. Yeah, see, so they, I mean, they're working on debt. Rugby league isn't working on debt. Yeah, uh, the, the money rugby league spends that is money rugby league has, and then they also have money that that they're saving up. Um, rugby unions are in debt in Australia. It's even it's worse than that. New Zealand rugby earlier this year earlier this year sorry um, approved a, a one hundred eighty six million dollar deal with Silver Lake that has helped secure their immediate future as well. That's New Zealand rugby. And that's the thing that really 
that's the thing that I've been talking about a little bit on Twitter and a little bit on the podcast as well, where for all the, the talent strength New Zealand Rugby Union has, and for the IP it possesses in the All Blacks, they're in debt. And they've been disconnected from domestically from the rest of the world for the last number of years, as we all have in every sport. But for them to be in debt at this point, there's got to be people in New Zealand Rugby Union that are sitting around saying, what's the end game for us? Because they just have to look across the ditch to see the end game for Australian Rugby Union right now is to be a niche sport. Now, Rugby Union in New Zealand is never going to be a niche sport. But what happens when the NRL is spent, you know, if the NRL ends up having, say, four teams in New Zealand and they are spending 40 million bucks a year on players and it's all financially sustainable and they're locked into the NRL system and the development starts happening and stuff like that, like what's the end game for New Zealand Rugby Union there? Now, there's people that will say, oh, it'll never, the All Blacks will always be number one and blah, blah, blah. I won't, I'll, I'll just concede all of that. Okay, I'll concede all of it. But it would have an effect. It would have some effect. I wonder if the plight of New Zealand rugby is largely linked to the poor situation of Australian rugby union because with England in rugby union, they've got a, a swag of strong rugby union nations around them they can play with and it's always competitive. We yep. saw recently Ireland was sitting there and they beat New Zealand um, a couple of years ago. Um, you they know, they've got rugby unions very strong in the whole European section there. And so England and all those nations can play one another and have competitive games. New Zealand does not have a competitive neighbour anymore like they used to. And so that means that there's less people watching it, less people going to it, and that it has that flow-on effect everywhere and it's eating away at their game. Well, even if it's just financial, you know, uh, New Zealand is a country that has the same population as Sydney, okay? You, you couldn't, in, in 2022, it's very hard to run a national sport with the same population as Sydney. Yeah. That's why the NRL expanded. It started expanding in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, so they they did lean on Australia's finances, and that's, look, that's fine. That yeah. it, it worked. <clears throat> and But I think the writing... Long term was on the wall when you started seeing teams like New Zealand and Australia and Rugby Union. They started playing exhibition matches that were on top of games that they would normally play and they would do it in, in strange places to make that extra money. Now, a lot of people were saying, well, that's them taking advantage of their IP and stuff like that. And But it turns out that they kind of had to do that for yeah. their bottom line. And when that went away a little bit because of COVID, they had to start loaning money from, you know, private firms. And the thing about lo loaning money from private firms is they want their money back. And if you do a private equity deal, and we've talked about this a couple of episodes ago with the um, the the private equity deal that Super League did, yep. those companies want a return on investment. And when you sit down and you make decisions based on sport, the private equity firm look will look at some of the decisions you want to make and say, that's not a return on investment for us. That's we right. want you to do this completely different thing that is against everything your sport 
maybe has done before. And a lot of it will be based on making sure they get their money back that they've invested in you as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure that you've got a fair bit of collateral in the bank to get them happy and mm-hmm. paid as quickly as possible so that they can get to work on trying to improve profits. No one at IMG is looking at their deal with Super League and saying our goal in 10 years when this deal runs out is to have lost $100 million. No. Because, and, and even, they've, to have, even to have lost $10. Exactly, exactly. They will have sat down, looked at the game's finances, and at the end of the day been able to say we will be in the profit to this amount if we pulled out of the if we pulled out of Super League at the end of this deal. That is what every private equity firm will be wanting to do. They don't care about the IP. They don't care about it going forward long term. And that's why you and me were against the NRL looking at a private equity firm for Australian rugby league when they were briefly looking at it because they don't care about the sport. They don't care about its future. They don't care about protecting this, that or the other. All these private equity firms care about is getting a return on investment. And that is going to be counter to what a sport needs sometimes. And the thing that would worry me if it's something that, you know, Super League has to deal with as well. Look, if Super League's run by, if Super League's finances are run by IMG and the Rugby Football Union in England says, we will pay, I don't know, £200 million for everything to switch to Rugby Union in the off-season, IMG will have meetings about that and put proposals to Super League about that. Mm. Because That's they have right. to. They just care about the return on investment. Which, it's not a bad thing either, because at the end of the day, all sport needs to make money, and that's what they're going to be helping to try and do. But they're going to be trying to make their money first. Yes, yes. Um, and, 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 and Super League people can sit down and say, well, in 20 years' time, what? where do we want to be? I'm Jesus, doesn't give a shit. They just care about their return invest, investment for the next 10 years. That's... Yeah. That is the double-edged sword with having a private equity firm. The only way it works is if you've got enough administrators within the game itself to understand, A, the game, and B, the financial side, you know, equally as well, so that when the investment firm starts doing their thing to make money, they can see how you can make money long-term and consistently through what they're doing and make them both work for what you want so that when they leave, the money still keeps coming in as it's supposed to. It doesn't just dry up when the investment firm fucks off. Exactly. And and when it comes to money in Australia, in the all-encompassing rugby market for both codes, the thing that loses money in Australia is rugby union, and the thing that makes money in Australia is rugby league. And if Australian rugby union wants to throw $2 bucks a year into Suwali, and burn that, good luck to them. And, uh, you know, if he's going to get two million bucks, good luck to him. Uh, it won't have any effect on the NRL. No, not at all. Well, that's a discussion we needed to have. Got that out of the way. Yeah. Um, and it's, I know it's a very focused discussion. Normally we talk about a lot of different subjects at one time, and I guess we did here. Um, it's probably going to upset some people. It will 
I don't know why it would make anyone happy. Um, it's it's kind of just is what it is. It's not to make anyone happy, but I think that there will be some things we've talked about that will upset people, and, and that's fine. That's cool. Um, at least we talked about it and we discussed it, and we'll see what happens. Absolutely, and we're being legit. Yeah, yeah, we're being honest with how we feel um, and where we see things right now. Yeah. Um, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you check us out on the socials, on Instagram and Twitter at Virgo Freak Pod. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube, so check us out all of those places as well. And uh, we will catch you again very, very soon. Palmer bet with the big don't argue. Punters will love that. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmer Bet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858.